Welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast. I'm Zubeda Hamid, your host for today's episode. With COVID-19 cases continuing to rise in India, one of the major problems faced by residents is how to consult their doctors. Telemedicine is beginning to step in here with consultations taking place over the phone and on video calls and with an increasing number of healthcare professionals also contracting covid-19 this seems a way to keep both doctors and patients safe in the current situation On March 25th the government of India notified the telemedicine practice guidelines giving an impetus to the sector that up until now had perhaps remained underutilized But how much can telemedicine diagnose and treat do patients trust it To talk to us about this we have with us today Dr K Ganapati former president of the Telemedicine Society of India and director Apollo Telemedicine Foundation Good evening, Dr. Ganapati, and welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast. Good evening. In this episode, Doctor, we are planning to discuss telemedicine and its impact, especially after COVID nineteen in our country. So, Doctor, can you tell us what is the current state of telemedicine penetration in India, and can you give us some numbers about it? Well, uh, clinical telemedicine formally started in India on March twenty four, two thousand, when Bill Clinton, the then president of the U.S. commissioned the world's first vsat enabled village hospital at aragonda near chetur the birthplace of dr pratap reddy chairman apollo hospital group apollo telemedicine foundation is the oldest and largest multi specialty telemedicine network in south asia before the pandemic we used to do almost 8000 teleconsults per day Prior to the pandemic, there were only about twenty-five major players, with perhaps a few thousand doctors and clinics occasionally deploying telemedicine. As a guesstimate, which could be at least fifty percent wrong on either side, probably we were doing about seventy-five thousand to eighty thousand teleconsultations a day, which for a population of one point three billion is absolutely negligible. in the first 15 years after i started telemedicine the annual growth was very slow but 5 years ago the government of india embarked on public private partnerships in telehealth and we did the first ppp project in the himalayas for the state government of himachal pradesh since then there has been a steady growth of ppp with several states taking part is covid 19 the covid 19 pandemic Finally, the time when telemedicine comes of age in India. Do you envisage a surge in teleconsults, and are are they already happening now? Absolutely. What we did for twenty years has taken off tremendously. About four months ago, there is no doubt whatsoever that everyone has woken up. Physical distancing. I personally don't like the word social distancing. In fact, I think this is the time when we need social interaction very much, at least virtually. so physical distancing has made the public the healthcare community and the authorities at last wake up and realize that remote healthcare can address most of the present problems of the pandemic in fact very urgently on march 25th the ministry of health government of india officially notified the telemedicine practice guidelines which were lying with them for quite a long time thousands of doctors who were not aware of the legality of telemedicine 
or otherwise were now reassured and jumped on the bandwagon. The Telemedicine Society of India quickly announced an online orientation program where thousands of doctors enrolled in the first couple of weeks. State medical councils, which hitherto had not been very keen on telemedicine, issued notifications confirming that telemedicine could be used. Hundreds, maybe even thousands. I, I personally, as a past president of the TSI, I have got at least hundreds of WhatsApp forwards, etc. Hospitals in the public and private sector, starting with AIMS in New Delhi and ending up with the smallest clinic in the remotest part in a Tier 2, Tier 3 city. Hundreds of such hospitals in the public and private sector have announced free teleconsultations. Several state governments, including the government of Tamil Nadu, the government of West Bengal, government of Andhra Pradesh, Telangana, etc., have included telemedicine in their SOPs and protocols in the containment and management of COVID-19. Even as a rough guesstimate, I would assume that the increase in teleconsults in the last four months has been at least 500 to 600 percent, probably tenfold is an even more realistic estimate. Telemedicine is being used not just for teletriage, not just for the management of COVID-19, not to reduce the physical pitfalls coming to doctors, clinics and hospitals, but more important, because of the lockdown, because of the restriction and transport, telehealth is now being used for the management and diagnosis and management of non-COVID conditions as well. An interesting point which many of us forget is the quarantined health provider. We all know that literally hundreds and hundreds of doctors have been quarantined. Now these people, though they are physically quarantined, are mentally absolutely alert and quarantined doctors can remotely, virtually provide healthcare to several hundred people every day. So this is what the pandemic has done so far as telehealth is concerned. Right. But doctor, uh, at this point in our country, we have a little more than half the total number of doctors we need. Our public health system, especially in, in rural and remote areas, runs on a very skeletal staff. But up until now, telemedicine, up until the COVID-19 pandemic hit, telemedicine hadn't become one of the pillars of our health system. What were the reasons behind this? Well, we, as I told you, we started telemedicine two decades ago. The first 15 years were spent just in evangelization, in making people aware that there was such a thing called telemedicine. Incidentally, I don't like the word telemedicine and particularly in the pandemic situation, it should be called telehealth rather than telemedicine. Medicine implies diagnosis and treatment one to one, whereas health implies keeping people healthy. The, eye, the good doctor does not want footfalls. We don't want you to fall sick and come to us. We would rather like to keep you healthy. Now, coming back to your question, lack of clarity whether telemedicine is officially recognized or not. Thousands and thousands of doctors were not willing to provide teleconsultation for the fear that they were doing something illegal. So the March 25th notification made a radical change. Again, let me be very frank about it. There was no excitement among medical doctors for the simple reason there was no business model. All of us are more than happy to provide pro bono consultations, but then we can't make this a way of life. There has to be compensation. The United right. States is a classical example. Five years ago, 
when the health insurance companies in the US recognized telemedicine for, re for uh, reimbursement, the number of teleconsultations increased 10 times in just one year. And I'm very happy that IRDA, the Insurance Regulatory Development Authority, has informed all health insurance companies that now in India as well, telemedicine should be reimbursed. This alone, I think, will go a long way. Again, you see, telehealth involves so many things. Patients are doubtful, apprehensive. They are concerned about the lack of physical touch. We are trying to introduce something which has been in practice some, against something which has been in practice for several thousands of years. Again, the lack of knowledge on how to do a teleconsultation, both in among the patient as well as doctors. Of course, inadequate infrastructure. It's only in the very recent past, and even then in the metros, tier two, tier three cities, in spite of what the government has said, in spite of the great work they are doing, I don't think more than 25% of India's 600,000 villages really have connectivity even today. You cannot do telemedicine unless you have a good, dependable, reliable bandwidth. We need to store records. Again, digital payment gateways, all these are recent things. And therefore, the sheer absence of how to collect money for a consultation itself stood in the way. Staff not sanctioned. And, and finally, let's face facts, you know, what I would like to call a chalta hai attitude, a refusal to innovate, let things go as it is, unless necessity is a mother of invention. Now, because we have no other alternative, contactless medicine is the name of the game today. Physical distancing is absolutely essential. Therefore, it has become critical that contactless medicine or remote health care be done. Private hospitals were not too much interested because there was no business model as such. In government hospitals, it involved additional work. Most government doctors are very overworked even now. So telemedicine meant extra work. And finally, unless my experience over the last two decades has been wherever telemedicine took off in bits and pieces, you know, oasis in a desert, if you like to call it, they were all local champions. They were evangelists. They were local champions who would not take no for an answer, who were absolutely passionate about this. So the inability to identify hundreds of such local champions also, and in the absence of a critical need, as there is now, also resulted in the very slow incremental growth. And finally, madam, if you would permit me to make such a statement, I wish the media had assisted us a little more in the pre-COVID <laughs> era. The lack of media assistance in the pre-COVID era certainly made a difference. Today, every day without i'm not exaggerating every single day somewhere in india there is a webinar on telemedicine i have personally given 25 webinars in the last 70 days which is unheard <laughs> of so i think the necessity the media is playing a tremendous role now in talking about telehealth and i think you alone will make a terrific difference to ensure that the urban rural health divide is even if all the resources and facilities are in place for telehealth, uh, with the notification of the guidelines, as you told us on March 25th, can you tell us a little bit more about the norms for guarding patient privacy in telehealth and how much they can be adhered to in real life? Because I'm, I, because I'm guessing this is one of the major concerns of patients when it comes to digital health. Absolutely right. Ensuring privacy and security of health data is critical. Therefore, 
I have at a personal level, I have request all my friends, colleagues in the telehealth care system. Let's start telemedicine and let's build up privacy and security as we go along. If, see, if somebody wants to hack you, even the White House can be hacked. So again, some amount of trust is required. Of course, recently the United States, a paper published said 200 million medical records at least have been hacked in the US, a country paranoid about data security. So another problem we have is, and the, the telemedicine practice guidelines in its anxiety, or I won't say anxiety, very realistically and very correctly, they wanted to ensure telehealth is practiced. They have specifically mentioned the use of WhatsApp uh, and several other such social media. Now, when these media, Facebook and so on, were initially conceptualized, it was certainly not to use it for telemedicine consultation. Therefore. For security and uh, privacy at a very high level, you need to use a good EMR and electronic medical record. Now, for example, in a big institutions like the Apollo Hospital, for example, you have firewalls, you have what is called DMZ or demilitarized zone. In place, all application URLs are signed with a secure socket layer. There is a high level of encryption, multiple encryptions. Uh, RSA algorithms are used and so on and so forth. We, in fact, even for telephone calls, voice calling is done. We use VPN connections and so on. But then I think we should not get paranoid about privacy and security. All these systems will fall into place. It will take time. But we need to remember that health data today is, you see, the entire world has become conscious about data. Data is money. And therefore, the possibility of people hacking into health data, whether it be insurance companies, whether it be telemarketers, etc., they need to have a profile of those who are healthy or those who are sick. And therefore, this is very real. The possibility of somebody hacking and stealing medical records electronically, even without your knowledge. And therefore, anybody who's planning to start telemedicine in a fairly big way must be very conscious of this and take preventive measures. Right. Doctor, going back to an earlier point you were talking about, when you said that there was no real business model, do you envisage payment parity between telehealth services and in-person services in the near future? Uh, that is a very good question. The telemedicine practice guidelines have sort of sidestepped this issue, if you want me to call it, but they have suggested, now again, please understand, these are guidelines, these are guidelines. So they have suggested that the teleconsultation should not be more than uh, a face-to-face -face consultation. One way we have done, which I would like to think is an innovation to get around this, is we do what are called telecams. See, as I told you, we have several public-private partnerships now, the rates obviously will have to be subsidized tremendously. And in all fairness, you cannot ask a super specialist uh, to spend his time uh, for a very, for one fifth or one fourth of what he normally would get in a face to face consultation. So, what we do is we organize telecams. So, we have 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday orthopedics, 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. cardiology, and so on and so on and so on. So we get at least three, four, five, sometimes even six, seven patients, and we pay the consultant or the super consultant per hour of his time. And believe me, no doctor normally looks at his watch 
we are all excited the more patients i have to see the more excited i am i get a kick out of it so nobody looks at the watch sometimes the consultations go on for 7 to 5 minutes 80 minutes and we pay them per hour so since four five patients can be seen in one hour the cost becomes extremely reasonable at the at the payment end and the consultant also is reasonably compensated okay doctor so if telemedicine takes off in a big way and uh, we are talking about how in the age of coronavirus it could potentially take off um what are the, the need for standards and accreditation will become crucial right could you tell us a little bit about what steps the government uh, is taking towards this yes very nice as you know the government has been extremely proactive in the last couple of years nabh national uh, uh, nabh is already there national laboratories are accredited we are talking of everything a medical college is accredited and so on and so forth now immediately for doctors are allowed to practice telemedicine for th- uh, without getting a formal certification or rather let me put it this way they are given 3 years time because after all it's a huge number they're talking of 500000 allopathic doctors being certified at least so the government has given 3 years time they have already uh, identified nimhans national Men's, uh, institute of mental health and neurosciences as the agency which will actually be doing this project uh, hopefully it will be in consultation with other telemedicine experts and a course will soon be organized which is mandatory by law so the national medical commission will endorse this course and this will be an online training program now this will ensure standards and accreditation the telemedicine society of india has already started online orientation programs as to some other organizations in the private sector also have started this doctor talking about uh, the kind of disease monitoring and diagnosis that can be done in telehealth could you give us a few examples you we already spoke about how some of the advantages in uh, the time of the pandemic is um, minimizing risks to patients and healthcare providers and also you mentioned that quarantine doctors would also be able to consult and uh, you know diagnose patients but what are the uh, what are the uh, other diagnoses that can be done in terms of telehealth and what are the limitations also of telehealth uh, i think you're asking the wrong person this question i am biased <laughs> obviously i'm tremendously biased according to me the limitations of telemedicine depend entirely on the context in which the teleconsultation is given in an ideal perfect setup there should be no limitation at all to any form of telemedicine theoretically sitting in chennai working in a quaternary care hospital with two with four and a half decades of experience as a neurosurgeon i could even peer into the interior of the stomach in a person in a tired tree town anywhere in india provided we have good bandwidth and we have a tele endoscopy peripheral medical device so there is really nothing where telemedicine cannot be used however the telemedicine practice guidelines at this point of time they have also mentioned that it is not appropriate in fact the the rulings do not allow you to do an invasive procedure this will come back uh, coming back to your question so the main question is limitations of telemedicine the limitations of telemedicine is the limitations of the infrastructure insufficient bandwidth unfamiliarity with the process of teleconsultation at one or both ends choosing the wrong beneficiary i not for a moment am i saying that every single person should have a teleconsultation done 
In fact, I'm very happy the telemedicine practice guidelines repeatedly use the word context. It is a context under which you, you need to decide. The clinician and the clinician alone uh, can decide on whether a face-to-face -face consultation is mandatory or not. Uh, doctor, one quick question about, uh, you were telling us about patient trust uh, being one of the factors in telehealth. Are there any studies conducted in India uh, to assess and see whether patients uh, would like uh, would like telehealth going forward? Do you know of anything like that, doctor? Well, we ourselves conducted a study about six years ago. This was again in a very remote area in Himachal Pradesh. This paper has been published. Uh, we interviewed about 2,800 people, cross-section of people uh, in rural Himachal Pradesh. And we specifically asked them about M-Health. Please remember this was four years ago. Technology was not as advanced as it is now. And to a very pleasant surprise, I don't remember the exact percentage, but I think almost 53% of the people interviewed were all for telemedicine, were all for telehealth. The feedback, we do feedback in most of our uh, uh, patients. Incidentally, I forgot to mention that we have touched 10 million. 10, the, uh, in the last 20 years, as of four months ago, 10 million remote healthcare consultations have been given with all the projects of the polar system alone put together so we do feedback for a very large number and our feedback is almost 80 percent of people said yes given an opportunity we will use telemedicine once again i think it depends on the experience and this experience does not depend only on bandwidth it does not depend on the sophistication of the screen etc it depends on the body language of the person who is dealing with you the pay the but the first, the beneficiary should go away thinking with the idea, wow, look at that doctor, he spent 10 minutes listening to me. So I think these are the things which are not emphasized. I'm an old-fashioned doctor. I always say that I belong to the BC era. BC originally meant before Christ. I was the last neurosurgeon in India who was trained before even a CT scan came to India. Today, of course, we use the word BC for before Corona and AC for after Corona because this BC is almost similar to that BC. The Corona pandemic has turned the world upside down. I think the world will never, ever be the same again. Speaking about the Corona pandemic, doctor, uh, one of the uh, uh, one of the. Uh one of the many issues that we're seeing now is a huge pressure on hospitals and healthcare providers. And uh, obviously there's a huge risk because lots of lots and lots of our doctors, nurses and other healthcare workers have also tested positive. So going forward, doctor, how, how can patients uh, harness telemedicine for themselves, both in terms of um, regular consults and visits uh, for issues that they have, as well as follow-ups that they're doing uh, in case they want to, you know, consult a doctor. Yes, it's now that it's, uh, help numbers are available everywhere. If you go online, you'll find dozens and dozens of hospitals with their helpline, including government, government of India, state governments, etc. Everything can be done today remotely. In fact, uh, even a temperature, for example, today we have thermal sensors. These are available. Nowadays, every office has got a thermal sensor. Many of these are Bluetooth enabled. So this uh, temperature will automatically go to wherever you want it to go. Similarly, we have cameras which we are not really using. We have cameras which can be, you just ask the patient to open his mouth to, you know, uh, to dilate the nostrils. Uh, or look at the focus the camera inside the ear you can find out and then we have digital stethoscopes which have 
freely available so you can auscultate from 1000 miles away 5000 miles away whatever it is etc so clinical examination a detailed clinical examination of a patient can be done remotely and with a very good percentage of confidence you can say whether this patient there's a possibility of whether he has a covid 19 whether he should get further investigated or not number one number two if a patient is corona positive and then after your proper appropriate management is discharged for follow-up you have his entire records you can do it the third thing which i think is not emphasized enough is that today we have algorithms and flowcharts these algorithms and flowcharts are available in various languages beautifully done with animation etc an asha worker you don't even need a bsc nursing you don't even need a proper full-fledged paramedic it can be a health assistant it can be an ayah an ayah who's trained in this thing in the local language on her tablet we have hundreds and we have thousands, tens of thousands of ashats who are equipped with tablets. Government has given them tablets. So on the tablet, they can go through. They don't have to remember this. They don't have to mug it up by heart. They just look at the screen, ask the right question. And based on the answer, the algorithm flowchart will direct you to the next question, next question, and so on. You have a scoring system. And then you know you give weightage for this, for that, for this, etc. You have calculations. And then it tells you absolutely no risk very high risk low risk medium risk etc everything can be done virtually electronically it's just a question of a mindset changing your mindset the government has done phenomenal work and today i think telemedicine is available in a very large percentage of the in of covers indian geography right thank you so much for speaking to us doctor it was a real pleasure thank you very much